for tuning into the 566th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be a Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast, network platform you may be listening to me via. Gonna have a great show for all you guys today. Gonna have Kenny Semon, scouting expert for 247 Sports, to break down and recap everything that went down for week 12 of... NFL action. Now, before we get to Kenny, I'm going to give my shameless plug. As always, first-time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast to friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, et cetera, et cetera. Check on the description below. Specifically, use Spotify. I have a timestamp. You can click on the timestamp, and we'll send you whichever part of the podcast you most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrant underscore Lane, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane, you will find that I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my second show outside the shop. And lastly, if you've Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, I'm not going to let the pod then. Probably not worrying about folks, but just don't say anything. Not a damn thing. Not a peep. Not a murmur. Not a whisper. Because you know what your mama told you? And Mama Lane always taught me this. She said, Daryl, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And got an next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Simmons show. Got an next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim with the scouting expert for Tunes Forty Seven Sports to break down and recap everything that went down for Week Twelve of NFL action. Kenny, how you doing? How you feeling? How you living, my guy? Doing good, Daryl. There's a there's a lot of football going on this past weekend, and there's a lot of you know in the NFL teams beginning to separate themselves and I don't know if you saw there was uh, now 50 different starting quarterbacks have started a game this year with the injuries at the bottom of the NFL there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of bad ball going on that is very very true uh, <laughs> I feel like you know with guys like you know with the injuries and guys like Tom Brady retiring Aaron Rodgers out Right, uh, the quarterback play can get pretty bad. Uh, you know, it's when they talk about NFL expansion, it's like, I don't know if there are enough good quarterbacks for the NFL to be expanding. Uh, but, uh, without ado, let's start with Monday Night Football. The Bears beat the Minnesota Vikings, the hot Minnesota Vikings, by the way, 12 to 10. What did you make of that game, Kenny? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, you know, for the most part in that game, there was bad ball at quarterback. Um, Josh Dobbs really came back down to earth. Four interceptions. 
the only reason the Bears didn't pull away by more is because they um, they didn't convert those four turnovers into points. They only had three points off those turnovers. But it was a resilient job. You know, um, Justin Fields showed signs, uh, kind, kind of where he's at, both positive and negative. He started the game 8 for 8 on a really good script. And then he had a couple of turnovers. One of them was potentially backbreaking at about the three-minute mark. He fumbled on a quarterback run. Um, but the defense held, and he got the ball back, and you got to give him credit at the end. He threw a nice, nice pass to D.J. Moore on a double dig route, and they were able then to essentially walk it off and win. So, you know, nice game for him. Nice game for D.J. Moore. And this is a game now the Vikings go into their bye week right on the fringe of the playoffs. In terms of how big of a loss was this for Minnesota? You know, this is one where they would like to have won it. I mean, they're they're at home against a team with three wins. So start looking at how many games they need to win to make the playoffs. Nine should be good at the bottom of the NFC playoffs, that, that seventh seed. Um, and this is one of the games that was chalked up as a win. Even though they were a three-point favorite, they're home against a team they should beat. So now, you know, they're in a lot of one-score games. And I want to say last year they were 11-0 and in those. Now they're 5-5. Five and five. So they're definitely come, come back to the mean. But, you know, every game for them is so important. I look at their schedule after the bye. They're at the Raiders. At the Bengals, two road games they got to play, and they still have to play Detroit twice. So there's no game on their schedule where I look and say that they're definitely going to win, but there's no game where they're definitely going to lose either. So it's an opportunity that they had a shot to really um, build some ground, and now it's getting tight. Justin Fields, you mentioned, you know, there's some good, right? Then there's some bad. But is there enough good for the Bears to want to keep moving forward with them? That's going to be the decision that they're going to have to make because they have Carolina's first-round pick. So right now, the Bears are projected to be uh, they are projected to have the number one pick and the number four pick as well. So Sounds like Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison. Uh, yes, they could do that. Um you know, but I, I also, you know, I know quarterback is looked at, but you, you, you see over time how quarterbacks in the wrong city, in the wrong franchise, have failed. Um, I know quarterback is going to be looked at heavily for them, but I don't know if they're equipped yet to draft a quarterback. Teams have to be equipped to do that, um, to eventually pull the trigger. Their offensive line needs a lot of work. They need more receivers. I think they need a coach who's offensively oriented. So I would guess with Justin Fields, after three years, there's a pretty good sense of what he can do and what he can't do. Um, but if the Bears eventually...
eventually take a quarterback, what that does is it it resets the clock. Um, Probably have to evaluate Justin Fields. If he was in this 2024 draft, how would he stack up with the quarterbacks? And by taking a guy like a Caleb Williams or a Drake May, they reset the clock. So now you have a rookie quarterback on the rookie contract in year one. You could then build around him. You have that salary cap flexibility, um, specifically in 2025 and 26, when uh, Justin Fields' salary would go up. And then you could use that other pick they have to either trade down or maneuver it to build around this offense. But I would guess still that they would lean quarterback. Former Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren is, is taking a prominent role in the organization. I don't know, there, there was a report out that he is going to want to bring in his own guys at GM and head coach. So I would say, I would say there's still a great shot that this is uh, a franchise that's going to have a complete house cleaning in the offseason, quarterback, head coach, GM. So next we're going to go to Sunday Night Football with the Ravens <clears throat> beating the Chargers 20-10. to 10. Uh, we've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, you know, Kenny, the Chargers, Brandon Staley. Uh, you've called him a, a kid with them <laughs> playing Madden. <laughs> That's what you compared him to. He's a defensive coach, but their defense is not particularly good. Uh, tonight, I felt like, on Sunday night, I felt like that was the end of Staley's tenure in Los Angeles, effectively, right? Because now, you know, they're definitely probably not making the playoffs. Um, so why don't the Chargers just pull the cord now? You know, by pull, uh, since they're out of it. I mean, the Panthers fired Frank Wright. <laughs> yeah. That one was, that one was different to say the least. But I mean, we're firing a coach. I don't know what. The benefit is of firing a coach midseason when they're fully out of it. You know, you, you get a shot, such a small sample to take a look at an interim head coach if they do. But regardless, if they do fire Brandon Staley, I would think the job is highly coveted for a lot of coaches to take. So essentially, not promoting. Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator, two head coach. Uh, I don't think Kellen Moore has done a very good job either this year. But you know, if it, it, it's one of those things, if you if you know if you keep on Brandon Staley, it makes the decision at the end of the year so clear. If there even is any hesitation, I would presume they would finish with six or seven wins. It would make it so clear, and by doing that mid-season I really don't understand the point of that you know maybe they get a little bit of a, a head uh, interim coach boost for a couple of games but you know you finish out the year and then all decisions can be made then So, if the playoffs started today, the Baltimore Ravens would be the number one seed in the AFC, would go through Baltimore. How realistic is it that Baltimore could win 
two playoff games and go to the Super Bowl. You know, it's 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 realistic by having the one seed the best uh, the best thing for them would be it's one less game where they could get upset. They've had a tough time in the playoffs and in this AFC at the top of the AFC and now the top four teams, those four division winners, they're really beginning to separate and there's now a gap, I would say from the top four teams to everybody else in the AFC. So it's one less opportunity for an upset. But also now, that's a pretty good situation for Baltimore if they have if if they have two home games to make it to the Super Bowl now instead of three. But you know, each team that they play, whether it be Kansas City, Jacksonville, Miami, all those teams pose different challenges to them. And so I wouldn't say that they would have an advantage. I don't I still don't see um, a team in the AFC that really is the the definitive one seed where, you know, it's in the past, it's Kansas City and everyone knows that. This is still jumbled up. Each team um, in the AFC has pros and cons as well, but it would put them in a situation where they have two home games to get to the Super Bowl, which is, you know, a nice situation. Mark Andrews, uh, if he's indeed out for the rest of the year, how big of an impact is that going to make on the Ravens' offense? Score 20 points without him on Sunday. Their, yeah, Mark Andrews is their top receiver. He's he's their top guy. They go to him a lot. If you take a look at how they go about throwing the football, and it's a, it, they, they've been throwing it more, um, but they can still lean on that run game. But he's one where he takes a lot of targets. So now this is going to be way more distributed. Uh, the, the, the targets for Lamar Jackson are going to be distributed fairly equally among their receivers. They still don't have a lot of receivers that could strike fear into you, although I do like Zay Flowers a lot. Now, they throw to Zay Flowers all around the line of scrimmage, not much downfield. Isaiah Lightley is a nice piece. And they also feature their running back. So what would make them difficult is those five eligibles going out for passes. The defense can't key on one guy. So now a little bit more honest defensively. And they could go about, you know, Lamar Jackson could go about the scheme with Todd Munkin and kind of throw the ball where the defense dictates or where the read takes him to. Zay Flowers, you think he can take on the load? I do. And Zay Flowers reminds me of a young Antonio Brown because he is so quick and explosive, but he's only 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, five, so you get these defensive backs running at him at full speed. He can stop on a dime. He changes direction so quick. He's hard to get a body on. And get it and get him to the ground. So he is definitely very lethal uh, running those jet sweeps. You saw that in the last play, essentially, of the game when they needed 
uh, the Chargers needed to get a stop. They run a jet sweep to Zay Flowers. He ends up taking it all the way for a touchdown. Um, so utilizing him in third downs um, and in, the, in, in their passing game as their number one target, I do think he could take on that role. And, and, and so far, he's done a pretty good job this year as a rookie receiver. He's been one of the better rookie receivers. Again, they don't throw him the ball too far downfield on those limited opportunities. He has made those plays. But so far this year, he got 58 catches, 600 yards, averaging 10 yards a catch. That's nice for a rookie. Next, we're going to go to the Buffalo Bills losing to the Philadelphia Eagles in the game I watched really closely. Uh, in overtime, uh, is that most, the most exciting game of the weekend, Kenny? Yes, I would say so. That game had a playoff-like feel. It felt like there were significant stakes for both teams. And this year has been the year of the defense. There's a lot of, I mean, just watching the games, but there's a lot of statistics that we could go through that this is one of the best years defensively in the NFL in decades. Um, But this was a game where a a very close, high-scoring game, that's typically the best appeal for a game. And it was... You know, 31-31 at the end of regulation, and then in overtime, and both teams got the ball in overtime. So, I would say it'd be up there in the running for a game of the year. Does it feel like the Bills let this game just get away from Kenny? Like they were the better team? If I feel what? Do you feel like the Bills let this game get away from them? Yeah. Because you take a look at what happened in this game. The Bills had more first downs. They were excellent on third down. They outgained the Eagles by over 100 yards. They turned it over less. They won time of possession. All those things. I mean, you know, how many times does a team lose when they have the ball for 40 minutes and over 500 yards of offense? And all those numbers show... The Bills should have came away with that. Um, you got to give credit to Elliott, the kicker, being an absolute seed to tie the game from 59 yards out. And then. And the pouring rain, by the way. You know, it was a downpour. And then in overtime, the margins in this league are so thin. And. The Bills had a little bit of a miscommunication with Gabe Davis and Josh Allen. A field goal happened, and then Eagles, A.J. Brown, the run game, and Jalen Hurts on that final drive, they were so impressive. They knew they needed a field goal. They ended up getting a touchdown. They were so impressive. Fire uh, uh, Offensive coordinator Brian Johnson schemed up a great run play on that Jalen Hurts touchdown run to win it. Josh Allen, I mean, you look at the numbers. I mean, 339 yards, two touchdowns, 81 yards rushing. He's very well probably the best player on the field that game. 
Uh, but Jalen Hurts was, you know, the more clutch guy. You think there's Josh Allen starting to get a bad rap because, you know, he has these spectacular performances where it's like, wow, all these things he can do. But then it's like, just like against Patrick Mahomes in the divisional round a few years ago where, like, this guy's superhuman, but, like, he doesn't win that big game. Do you think that's starting to become the rap on Josh Allen? Well, hopefully that's not the rap because for him... That is not the case. I thought he played very well. I thought he helped carry a Bills team going up against the best team in the NFL. And I felt Josh Allen was among, you know, right up there with the best player on the field. I mean, he was early in that game. They were going downfield. He was running the ball and picking up plays with his legs when required. Um, you know, only had that one turnover. It's not multiple. And on the final drive in regulation, when they ended up going up, they were converting third down, going on a long drive, also eating the club back. When he threw that touchdown to Gabe Davis, I thought that was one of the best drives the Bills had all year. And unfortunately, you know, at the end of the day, specifically in overtime, the defense didn't get the stop they needed to knowing that at least hold him to a field goal. Touchdown could not happen. It did happen in that game against Kansas City, the divisional game, 13 seconds left. Under no cir- under no circumstance should the, should the uh, Chiefs have gotten that field goal off, and we have relitigated that from kicking it in the end zone and all that. But, uh, you know, I think God... Josh Allen is, actually, is is doing what he can to keep the Bills in these games. Um, when the Eagles, I mean, they're on the road against the best team in the NFL, and they led for the majority of that game. What are the Bills' playoff chances now? Well, that game was on. Um, the game against Philadelphia was a. Pretty big blow for them. Um, now they're sitting six and six with the bye week, so um, they have five conference losses now. So the first tiebreaker is always head to head, and then it's conference record. And the Bills and everybody's twelve conference games, and the Bills have five losses already. So. Um, you look at the other teams ahead of them, they have less than that. So the Bills are probably going to have to go 4-1 and one the rest of the way to get to 10 wins. Because as jumbled as it is in the AFC, I'm still of the belief that there's not going to be eight teams in the AFC with 10 or more wins. So that seven seed is probably going to have 10 wins. Um, and if it doesn't, that seven seed is going to have nine wins. And there's probably going to be some tiebreakers. Seven and eight seed will have nine. Um, so conference record not looking the best. If there is a tiebreaker with the Broncos, they lose that. So they're going to have to go four and one. That's that's the way to ensure the Bills have the best shot at making the playoffs. And coming into this game, you know, they play a hard schedule, and 
you got to get the game. They still got the Cowboys and Chiefs on the schedule. They still got the Cowboys and the Chiefs. (laughs) Yes, and they had the Dolphins in the last game of the year, and I don't know if the Dolphins are going to have a shot to 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 get the one seed too. But there's they got to get to ten wins. They have four more of those to go, and they had six games to do it. And now with losing this game to the Eagles, now it's five games to do it. So they got to get four somehow, and every loss it just gets. Amplified that now it's a must win. It's a hunt. You 100% have to win these next few games, and you know it's hard to bank on 100%. Um, you gotta have it. Is Sean McDermott on the hot seat at all? You know, there's signs that that could mm-hmm. be the case. Um, you know, I know firing Ken Dorsey. I know they were. You know, the Bills are still I think top eight and. Points scored. I know they were third in DVOA offense. Special teams issues have hampered him. His defense in this game, letting up a field goal, letting up the touchdown. There are some signs where, you know, each quarterback goes through different iterations of their career and losing the game to the Eagles, losing the game to the Broncos. You know, I see this unit around Josh Allen. You know, the Stephon Diggs, Von Miller, McDermott, Josh Allen. It's it, it, it looks like from afar that this group has tapped out their full potential. And the past couple of years might have been the best that Sean McDermott was able to do. So then comes, you know, the second phase of Josh Allen's career in his mid-20s to early 30s. I would say there's a good shot that it could be a different head coach and, you know, some personnel around him. With the Eagles, uh, we talked about this off the air, I believe, months ago, but... uh, you said it'd be pretty hard for you to imagine if the Eagles were undefeated. They're not now, but if they were to beat Dallas, the Chiefs, mm-hmm. uh, the Bills, and then Dallas again, it'd be and the 49ers, which they're going to have to do. Uh, now are you feeling like they can do that, Kenny? <laughs> they're almost all the way there. Yeah, they had that stress. They had to play all those teams that you mentioned. Uh it started after the Jets' loss, and they were seven in a row, and they were doing pretty good in the start of the year, but they really hadn't played anyone. Now in these seven games so far, they're five and out with two left. So they have shown incredible toughness, mental and physical toughness. They have shown the ability uh, to make plays at the end of games when you got to have it and it really these close games and they've been in I'm, I mean the Cowboys Chiefs Bills have all been coin flip games there is three to five plays in each of those games that determine the difference the margins are razor thin in this league and the Eagles have been able to do it um, now a little bit of a trap that they're 10 and 1 and they're an underdog at home I kind of like the 49ers next week. Um, but 
regardless, five and two, six and one in the seven game stretch has been impressive for the Eagles, and they have shown very good resolve. Um, and it's going to be hard to actually knock them out because, you know, it's like going up against a heavyweight boxer. You got to be able to spar with them for 10 rounds. And, you know, teams could get up to a lead 7 nothing in the first quarter, like Washington has done throughout their games when they have played Philadelphia. But to actually knock out the Eagles in a one game setting and go 60 minutes, if not 60 minutes plus against the Eagles and go toe to toe with them, it's going to be hard. To actually knock them out. Next, we're going to go to the Jaguars beating the Houston Texans 24-21. Uh, to What does this game tell you about the Jaguars, Kenny? <clears throat> the Jaguars are right on track. The Jaguars, Jaguars are right on track. Um, they now have, uh, this was a big game. And the winner of this game, the chances of them winning the AFC South really would go up or down depending on who won or lost. And now the Jaguars have a two-game cushion now. And they go on the road and they win a hard game on the road. The Texans have been very good at home this year. And it shows that the Jaguars are right on track for kind of how I saw them at the start of the year being a team that would win the division and make another deep run in the playoffs. They're they're eight and three. They've won seven out of eight. This was a game where Trevor Lawrence I felt was the best he's played all year. Three hundred and sixty four yards, nine point six yards an attempt, leading necessary touchdown drives, answering a score, a Texan score with his own score to go up ten. So this was an encouraging sign, and their defense. Jacksonville has an underrated defense and a dark horse for All-Pro and Defensive Player of the Year is Josh Allen, the defensive Josh Allen. He's got 12 sacks now, and he made his mark on that game. He had two and a half sacks, four quarterback knockdowns, and it's a defense that's underrated, and it can get after the passer as well. So, next, uh, what I do want to ask you this, the Texans. Uh, how do you still feel about them as a playoff threat? I still like them as a playoff team. Um, it's getting tighter in that wild card, but I would still favor... Um, I would still favor the three teams that are the wild cards right now to finish that off as the wild cards when it's all said and done. They have winnable games still, and they're 6-5. and five. Again, 10 wins is the magic number. Nine wins, it would come down to probably a two- or three-way tiebreaker. But they got the Broncos at home. Then they got to play the Jets. And they still have to play the Titans twice with rookie quarterback Will Levis that's a different type of Titans team than in the first year or the uh, at the start of the season so they got to play the Titans twice as well so still a favorable schedule um, they got three home games where they've been solid at home 
and I still like their chances to make the playoffs. Next, we're going to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Steelers finally had a game where they outgained a team. Joe Burrow just had to not play. Uh, any concerns, though, about this? Can the Steelers win a, a game in the playoffs, Kenny, when they're having these type of games with you know the Bengals now without Joe Burrow? Like, can the Bengals, like, can the, could the Steelers actually win a playoff game? Yeah. They can win one like this. Um, you know, they're not the better team. First time all year, they've outgained an opponent. But they've played in this type of game all year. This is the style of game they're going to play. Their defense is going to give the offense an opportunity. It's going to remain throughout the majority of the game, a one-possession game. And the Steelers, for the most part, they have gotten away with making one drive a game in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Now, this was a game where they were able to get out to a lead and they were able to protect it with their defense. But they play this this game is so typical of the Steelers. A low-scoring, grimy game, 26 points scored, and they have been comfortable in this setting and they have won many games. So, for one game in a playoff setting, they could definitely play like that and win. You think there was it's a... just going, you know, having to win, if, if, if their goal, and, de- and definitely like, uh, internally every team wants to win the Super Bowl, it's hard though to see them doing this and winning a close game where one or two plays could swing the difference, doing that four consecutive games though. What was the point of firing Matt Canada if the offense is still going to look this pedestrian? <laughs> well, isn't a different touch? No, no. This offense? Yes, they scored 16 points. But Matt Canada has been the offensive coordinator for 58 games. They never eclipsed 400 yards of offense. First game, he's fired. They eclipsed 400 yards of offense. They, 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 they have 421 yards of offense. That's not a bad job. That's a good offensive output. They were good on third downs. Um, their issue in this game, and they would have scored way more points, is they went one for four in the red zone. But offensively, they continue to run the ball well since they have those dual backs of Harris and Warren. And it was one of the better Kenny Pickett games. I mean, he, he threw for 280 yards, 278 yards. And he was pretty efficient doing it too. So... This is an opportunity to maybe unlock a little bit more of an aggressive offense, but this is going to be a huge indicator to see if this is more Matt Canada in the offense or more Kenny Pickett. Because also, Pat Freyermuth returned. Now, with that running game, and Freyermuth, and George Pickens, and Deontay Johnson, he's got skilled guys around him. So this will be a good indicator down the stretch and in the playoffs is getting a better sense for what Kenny Pickett can and can't do and kind of what the future holds for that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then come next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to keep talking week 12 NFL action. Come next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. 
around the world, ain't nobody else that can do it like us with nobody else. When the chips about to fall and I back against the wall, no, it's only one place I call. Wild Rose Lee home. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we still have Kenny Sim with us, scouting expert for 247 Sports, to break down a recap everything that went down for Week 12 of NFL action. So, Kenny, the Chiefs beat the Raiders 31-17. This game was close for a little bit in the first half. What were your thoughts on this game, Kenny? It's a game that the Chiefs got out to a little bit of a slow start. They spotted the Raiders 14 points, but like so time, but like so often in past years, a 14 nothing deficit is nothing for the Chiefs, and they ended up closing the game on a 31 to three run. I really like what the Chiefs are doing running the football, um, finding a bell cow in Isaiah Pacheco, and then offensively. Patrick Mahomes is working a lot with the receivers this past week. <clears throat> you know, after a couple of drops, um, uh, a less than stellar start for that entire receiving room. He still has Travis Kelsey to lean on, but this was a big receiver race game. He's their second-round pick from, from SMU. He ended up having eight catches, 107 yards, and a touchdown. And he's had a couple of nice games as a rookie. The question going forward is, is this going to be their top receiver? Is he going to be able to supplement Travis Kelsey and get those five-plus targets a game, be that receiver that Patrick Mahomes goes to? And I would say he's the best chance for them to do that. He's been the one receiver this year at all the receivers, Sky Moore, Justin Watson, MVS. He's been the one to pop at times. So let's see if Patrick Mahomes, as November comes and December comes, you got to build a rapport with one of the receivers. Let's see if Rasheed Rice is that guy. Do you think he can be that guy? I do. This was a guy that was an explosive player coming out of SMU. He could run short, intermediate, deep routes. He has been a big yards after catch guy, and he's made some explosive plays. Those those catches over 20 yards, he usually gets one a game. I do see him stepping into that role as they begin to lock up the division, try to get home field, and make their playoff run. Um, he would be the guy, I would say, would be the best chance. Uh, Sky Moore has not really popped to the level um, that was expected. He was a second-round pick as well. MVS and Justin Watson are more of those deep-catch guys that don't get a ton of volume. So uh, Tony's been in and out, inconsistent. But Rice is the guy to watch out for. 
Is there any concerns that the Chiefs, you know, they lost the Eagles and, like we just said, best team in the NFL, but they came out slow against the Raiders? Does that concern you at all? Not right now because, what was it? It was two years ago that was the thing where they got out. I mean, it was 14 nothing, 10 nothing, and they didn't bat an eye. Flipped the page, a couple of possessions, and all of a sudden... Chiefs go from down 14 to up 10. Uh, that happened a lot in 2021. This has not been the case this year, so it's a little unexpected. Yeah, they had Travis Kelsey you know, and Tyree Kill in so, 2021, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so two things. So, so, so one is they were in a tough spot because they were on a short week and they had to go on the road in the division. And this is a rivalry game. And also, this year, too, is... They they would have a hard time coming back from double digits down. Now their defense has been very good this year. Um, they have not gotten out to slow starts down fourteen nothing this year a lot. This this was the first time. So right now it's not too big of an issue. But to your point is this Chiefs team. Um, if they're down 14 nothing in a playoff game quickly, I wouldn't be so sure just to mark them down as getting a win quickly. It would be harder for them this year to come back from 14 down because of, you know, what they have at receiver. Travis Kelsey from 2021, a little bit different from 2023 right now. Uh, but their defense, though, has been the best unit for them, and they have kept them in games. Next, let's go to an NFC South game. The Falcons uh, beating the New Orleans Saints, who were leading the division. Uh, How much hope does this give the Falcons in terms of a race for the division title? The Falcons are in the driver's seat for the division now. They play the easiest schedule down the stretch. They have, um, they're now tied with the Saints for the division at a whopping 5-6. and six, And they have that tiebreaker right now. Now, the last game of the year, the, the, these teams will play again. But right now, it's one nothing Falcons. Um, but with winning that game and, and um, having the easiest schedule down the stretch, I would lean towards the Falcons being in the driver's seat for the NFC South right now. Who would give a team a tougher matchup in the playoffs, the Falcons or the Saints? I would say the Saints, or the uh, Falcons. Uh, the Falcons are better at home. They're 4-2 and two at home. And sometimes Desmond Ritter can get fairly comfortable at home and play well. They're one and four on the road. The Saints don't have those type of splits. So, better at home. And if Arthur Smith utilizes his personnel, <laughs> right now, I kind of like the personnel of the, of, of the Falcons more. With Olave being a concussion protocol, Michael Thomas on IR, I have no idea if he's going to return this year. They still got guys on the Falcons. Lean on B. John Robinson. They ran the ball very well. 16 carries for Bijan, 10 for Tyler, Tyler Al Algier, 
Lean on that run game. Start getting Bijan 20-plus carries. They give Bijan 20-plus carries. He's running the ball effectively at home. They can keep things a little close. They're going to be an underdog to whoever the five seed is. Start getting it close at home. Maybe it favors the dog a little bit. And then Drake London, in his limited opportunities, he has done well. So he had 91 yards on seven targets. He made a couple of big catches for them. Um, so I I like the Falcons a little bit more here. Arthur Smith and um, Dennis Allen. Are both these guys in the hot seat? Do you think both these guys will return next year? So, both are probably um, largely dependent on what happens the rest of the year. So, in Arthur Smith's case, this is year three for him. He's been there longer as a head coach than Dennis Fallon has. Uh, This is year three for Arthur Smith. They've had seven wins in both years. So, if they don't make the playoffs and they finish the year with seven wins again, I think it's a fair question to look at is can they improve at head coach and utilize Bijan Robinson more and try to unlock London and Pitts. So, I would say it depends on both. In Dennis Allen's case, you know, this roster is one where they're piecing it together and they still have veterans and they're trying to win still, but this roster is not as good as it was a few years ago. And Derek Carr, I still don't think he looks good with the Saints through this year. Kamara getting long in the tooth. Receiver, they've been piecing it together with Taysom Hill as well. So I don't think that so, – so, the Saints are a little bit rudderless where if they go back to Dennis Allen for year three, they have cap problems and they're not really trying and, and they're not going to improve the team too much. They're stalling out year after year as that eight-win team. They're just stuck in the middle at eight wins. So it would probably work best if they begin to unload some players like um, Kamara make a change to head coach and try to get their cap and draft in order and reset for a little bit because this team is, you know, the Saints have kind of, kind of, kind of a low ceiling at right about that 8-9 win mark, and that's about as best as they can do. And they're using all of their cap still. Next, let's go to a game that I know you're going to have a lot to say, Kenny. Uh, what in Jesus' name happened to the Cleveland Browns losing 29-12 to the Denver Broncos? This game got out of hand fairly quickly. Um, defensively, for as good as the Browns have been, when the Browns are on the road... Their defense does not come out strong to set the game. I think they're 31st in points allowed in the first quarter. And then and then second quarter on, they give up the least amount of points. But between Denver, uh, Seattle, Indianapolis, they got down for their 
fourth straight road game, 14 nothing, And that's a tough spot on the road with a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, Ken Stefanski came out, and he came out throwing. Ten of the first 15 plays, 13 first downs in a row he threw with DTR. DTR is a fifth-round rookie, and he is still limited, and he has not shown through three games improvement to give him more. And they come out throwing 13 times, and he goes 6 for 13 on first downs. That means seven series, it was second and ten or longer. And so the Broncos have the worst run defense. Jerome Ford gets nine carries only. He's averaging 7.2 a carry, and they don't give him the football. Um, and then it's 14 nothing. They really get behind the sticks, and they have to start playing catch-up. They actually get this game to 14 to 12 at the end of the third quarter, and it's going to be one of these close one-score games. And then Baron Browning comes in and delivers a shot to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, roughing the passer. It can cost Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He's bleeding from the mouth. Um, and so start of the fourth quarter, is 14-12 Browns, and then P.J. Walker comes in, and, man, P.J. Walker comes in, and anytime he gets hit, he fumbles. He, he, he fumbled three times. He lost only one of those, took a safety, and they need to really um, – P.J. Walker was 2-1 and one as a starter. They need a full week of practice, though, with him to get him ready. So him coming in cold, he's just not an NFL quarterback when he comes in cold, let alone all his deficiencies, and that was it. They, they do not do anything on offense. Takes a safety and it ends up twenty-one twelve. Are all these injuries going to save Kevin Stefanski's job if the Browns don't make the playoffs? I still think it's up in the air, and this thing could still go either way because injuries are piling up. Uh, but if they, you know, if they miss the playoffs, let's say they win nine games, that means the final stretch they would have gone. They were seven and three, so they would have gone two and five down the stretch at best. One and six down the stretch. With a fickle ownership group, I would not say anyone is uh, safe yet. So they still have a lot of winnable games still. The Browns have a very easy schedule down the stretch. And I'm still expecting playoffs. They still have the Bears and the Jets at home. they got to play the Bengals still. Um, so I'm still expecting playoffs. And there was a lot of injuries that piled up in this game, but I don't think any of them are long-term um, that would last past this week. And a lot of guys might actually play this week. Miles Garrett, Amari Cooper... Not sure on Denzel Ward, but they got out of that game uh, from an injury standpoint as good as um, it's probably as best as they could because those injuries were piling up. Also, with Dorian Thompson Robinson, the concussion protocol, he did not practice today. Um, I would say the leader in the clubhouse to start against the Rams this Sunday, Daryl, is Joe Flacco for the Browns. <laughs> 
How do you feel about that, Kenny? Well, you know, at at almost 39 years old, I don't know much of what Joe Flacco could do. Um, he had, back in the day, he had an arm on him. And if he has that arm still, and he could complete some deep over, some deep passes, he's a veteran, um, get the ball out quickly, the Browns could still win games with that type of quarterback, that type of Blake Bortles, that Trent Dilfer in 2000. Uh, but also realistic on both ends is Joe Flacco was a free agent after this year, after last year with the Jets, and nobody signed him. He was on the couch a few days ago. He, he was working out with high school kids throwing the football. So no one decided to sign him as well. So if he does have elements of his game, that big arm, veteran presence, doesn't turn it over, the Browns can still win games like that, though. Uh, but also, too, he's he is not very mobile at all. He was never mobile to begin with and now he's essentially a statue and there's a still a fourth string left tackle so we will see but I do like having a veteran there at quarterback so for the Broncos is this the best turnaround you can remember in recent NFL history you know this was a good one uh you know, even last year, I like what the Lions did down the stretch, and maybe the Broncos do something like the Lions, but this team was left for dead. They they were 1-5, and five, and it was talked about if they were just going to tank the rest of the way and take a quarterback high, and, and, and Sean Payton is a phenomenal coach, and it takes team a while to figure out what they truly are. I think the team doesn't really know what they are until, you know, halfway through the season. Give them six, seven games, but Sean Payton figured out what he has on offense and defense. They have gone more to a run game. They protected Russell Wilson. He's still not being asked to do a ton. Manage the game. Don't take sacks. And they have leaned on their run game a lot. With P. Runner Williams, defensively, really good turnaround. They've been good since the uh, 70-point game against Miami. they got young pass rushers. And they now have 15 takeaways in the last five in, in, in the last five games. 15 takeaways. That's the most in a five game stand since 1997. They are doing it by taking away the football. And that's been a huge reason why they've won five in a row. And at six and five, they're right in this thing to make a wild card. Yeah, they are right. And thick of things. And next, we are going to go to the Indianapolis Colts beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-20. to Kenny, how big of a win was this for the Colts? This was a huge win at home for them. Down the stretch, they're going to have opportunities to play teams 500 or worse. You've got to win these games. You've got to win these one-score games. And 
the Colts were able to do it. And they're six and five too. And seeing their schedule, they have to play still. They get the Falcons, they get the Colts, they get the Bengals, Tuckins. There's going to be opportunity for them to make the playoffs. And this is not a it's not a bad team. I thought Minshew this year has been solid as a backup. He's been one of the better backups this year. Uh, they're, they're still able to run the football, and that helps everything. When the Colts run it for 150-plus yards a game, that really helps their offense down. It helps their defense as well. And the Buccaneers scored late to make it a one-score game, but the Colts were up all game, and for the majority of the game, they were up two scores. So, you know, they target Michael Pittman a lot. He's had a nice year. Gus Bradley is figuring some things out. They have six sacks. They're a good team at home. It's not a bad team. And I see the Colts going right down to the wire for a wild card spot as well. Shane Steichen, how are you liking him as an offensive mind, what he's doing with Gardner Minshew right now? He's done well with him. And Gardner Minshew is a guy that can make a lot of plays. He can also make a lot of mistakes as well. But, you know, he's played almost the entire season with no Anthony Richardson. being completing 63% of his passes, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. And he's been able to pop a couple of runs. Uh, in the uh, quarterback run game as well. But what I like with Shane Steichen is he has brought this physicality and a successful running game that he had in Indianapolis. He's doing it with Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. He's going to need to do it uh, going back to like what he did at the start of the year with Zach Moss because Jonathan Taylor's going to miss some time with a thumb. So it's Zach Moss and Trey Sermon, but Zach Moss has done just as well as Jonathan Taylor when he's had the full workload. He got a big receiver. They, they continue to get the ball to Michael Pittman. And I like what I've seen this year from Josh Downs a lot, too. So he's working with the pieces he's had, and he's doing the best he can with some limitations. And this offense still needs work in the offseason, but they scored over 24 points, you know, five, six times this year with a backup quarterback. He's done a he's, he's he's done a pretty good job this year. Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Great, Daryl. Thanks, man. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 566th episode of. Barbershop Sports Talk!